Hey everyone. For those of you living in the state of Illinois, I mean, can you believe that it's only been a week since we've been in the shelter in place? I, I don't know about you. For me, this feels like it is stretched out for in eternity, I swear. Matt Brown, our communications director, was saying something a little bit earlier before the live stream kicked in, how people someday are gonna remember. You know how we talk about this? Oh yeah, I remember living through the 60s, or I remember the 80s, or the 90s, or the 2000s. People are gonna be talking about living through the end of March 2020 in like 20 years from now. It's just like this eternal stretch. And my bet is, to all of those of you who are listening, wherever you might be tuning in from, a full range of emotions has been experienced or sampled by at least someone in our listening community right now over the course of this past week. Some of you are cooped up and you are bored, frustrated, and you can't wait to get out of the house while others of you are sheltering down and you're keeping everyone out and making sure to not put yourself at any risk whatsoever out there. Some of you are filling this week with a lot of laughter, a lot of fun, a lot of just maybe projects you're doing or things that you're catching up on, while others of you, I think, might be afraid, worried. You're tuned into the news at every moment, and, and the more you listen, the more it cycles on your emotional state. There's some of you among us who are sick right now. Some who are feeling well. And everything else in between, some of you are overworked. You find that you are working more than ever in these moments. And it's these 50, 60 hour weeks because of everything that this has created. And others of you are finding yourselves reduced to 30 hours, 20 hours, 10 hours a week, or even laid off altogether going what? do I do? I, I want to tap in today to some of those emotions and help you, I hope, look at it from a slightly different place. Now, throughout the month of March here at Fellowship of Faith, we have been talking about how Christians are expatriates of the kingdom of God. That as a Christian, we are citizens of the kingdom of God, which means that our loyalties now lie with God's kingdom no matter where we might live. But as citizens of God's kingdom, we find ourselves living in times and places where God's kingdom is not manifest among us. This is what Jesus is getting at when he says, pray this way. God, thy kingdom come, right? God, bring your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. That we're citizens of this kingdom of heaven, waiting for God's kingdom to manifest itself here on earth. But in the meantime, we live a bit like strangers in a strange land. We live as expatriates, people with national loyalties to one place living in another and what we've been talking about how, is how this, this life of the expatriate, I mean, let's face it, it's hard. It is hard to be a Christian. It is hard to be an expatriate of the kingdom of God. But one facet I haven't brought up so much yet that I want to talk to you about today. 
is how Jesus will talk about another kingdom at work as well. That this world in which we live is not just virgin landscape, a place of neutrality where we happen to find ourselves until it gets developed, but rather, as Jesus invites us to think about it, that there's another kingdom at work, a kingdom that the New Testament will call the kingdom of darkness and many other metaphors as well. And the key thing I want you to hone in on today is that that kingdom, that kingdom of darkness, if you are a Christian, does not want you here. It sees you as a threat. And just as expatriates have had to face in every time and every generation, an expatriate of the kingdom of God will have to face a similar set of challenges as being an unwelcomed presence from the influencing power in the place in which they live. You will be put under surveillance by the kingdom of darkness. You will be put on a watch list, surveilled, under surveillance, right? You will be targeted and you will be confronted. And that's what I want to talk to you about today, is how the kingdom of darkness goes about laying its influence on you, or better put, attacking you, and what God says that you can do about it in the meantime. I think of what Jesus says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, but Lord, deliver us from the evil one, right? That's what we're talking about today. Now, first, this isn't an if situation. It's a when. Jesus tells us that this is an inevitability. This is going to happen. The devil will target you. This, this kingdom of darkness will exert its influence on you. You will be pressured, attacked, put under surveillance and confronted. It's not an if, it's a when. And the sooner we can come to terms with that, I think the more prepared we are in the midst of it. But second, it's not like what you think. You know, we're not talking about the things you see in movies or read in books. We're not talking about demon possession and projectile vomiting and head spinning and little girls talking in creepy old man voices and, you know, things like that. No, the way that the kingdom of darkness goes about exerting its influence on citizens of the kingdom of God, it's far more subtle and far more sinister. And the analogy that I want to set up for you today, by which to help you really wrap your mind around this, is I want you to think about it like a virus. That the kingdom of darkness seeks to exert its influence in the same way that a virus goes about doing its work. We are so 
virus-obsessed right now, aren't we? I mean, you can't turn on TV or listen or watch any kind of news feed for more than like six seconds without like COVID-19 being everywhere. You can't get into a conversation with anyone today without this coming up. And so my hope is that some of the awareness that the virus has brought will serve as an analogy to help you understand how the kingdom of darkness does its work. Think about it with me. A virus is small. It's subtle. It's unnoticeable. A virus is something that doesn't so much specifically target you as it is something you pick up from something or someone. And that something or someone, well, it doesn't mean it's evil or bad or wrong, but the virus has a way of just attaching itself to it, lacing itself on it, so that somehow and in some way, when you come into contact with it, it rubs off on you. It's insipid because you never really know when that happens. And it can lay dormant within you for days or weeks. In the case of spiritual attack, it can even be months or years before you realize that you've been exposed and before it starts to do its work. But then, when you often least expect it, you find yourself suffering from various symptoms. That it's kind of started to do a work in you, indicating something deeper that's going on. This is how spiritual attack works. And what I'd like to share with you today is what the Bible has to say about it and to do in the midst of it. Because just like washing your hands can rid you of this virus we call COVID-19, there are things God invites you to do by which to resist the spiritual attack of the enemy that seeks to infect you. Because just like a virus infects your body, spiritual attack will seek to infect your heart and your mind. This is why Peter will write, prepare your minds for action. Or I love the old King James in this. You gotta, you gotta just kind of embrace this. Gird the loins of your mind. Isn't that Awesome. Gird the loins of your mind. Be prepared here and here. Because by being prepared, you can take your stand against the way the kingdom of darkness will seek to undermine you in this time. Now, right now, coming out from the White House or all over Google, they'll talk about five things that you can do in the face of COVID-19. Well, I want to play off that today. And I want to talk about five things that you can do as you come into contact and find yourself exposed to spiritual attack. Join with me in this. Here's the first. Sadness. I want to talk to you about sadness a little bit today, and I'm very intentionally not using the word 
depression. We love to self-diagnose in our world today, don't we? And we take this medical diagnosis called depression and seek to slap it on any bit of sadness or anything and any time that we find ourselves sad. This would be about as goofy as any time I get a skin abnormality saying, oh look, I'm suffering from cancer today. Let's not talk about the clinical diagnoses of depression, and let's not be insulting to people who struggle with that. No, I want to talk more broadly and more simply about something called sadness. Now first, being sad is completely healthy and normal. There are things that should make you sad. If you're never sad, guys, something is off in that. Sadness is nothing to fear. But just like a virus can infect your body, sadness unchecked can infect your soul because sadness unchecked will birth something greater called despair and hopelessness. People who suffer from COVID-19 talk about a symptom of being exhausted. Any of you who have had the flu, you know what I mean. You are wiped out. You are tired. There is no energy. It's like the very strength within you has been sapped. Those who struggle with deep sadness and with what it births, despair and, holy, and, and, and hopelessness. They often experience an exhaustion of soul. Guys, for those of you suffering from this symptom, you need to hear this. God does not know the word helpless or hopeless. These are not words in his vocabulary. There is no such thing as helpless or hopeless with God. For those of you suffering from despair and hopelessness, remember there is no such thing as helpless and hopeless with God. I mean, if God can heal sick people and give sight to blind people and allow the deaf to hear and the lame to walk, if he can still storms and multiply loaves of bread and cause the dead to rise again. If he can create this world and destroy it and recreate it again, he can certainly come to you in the time and place of whatever has you down. No, make no mistake, there are many things in this world that will bring you sadness. But it's in those moments of deciding what to do with it makes all the difference of how it will affect your soul. And what the New Testament invites us to do is to stand against it. I want to share a verse with you today. It comes out of Philippians, and I love this. Rejoice in the Lord when? Always, it says. I will say it again. Rejoice. Like, did you hear me? Rejoice. No, no. Did you hear me? I'll say it again. Rejoice. I want you to read this with me from your home right now. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice, always. 
in good times and in bad times. When you feel happy. When you feel sad. When life is working out. When you find yourself in deep struggle. Rejoice, the New Testament says. I'll say it again. Rejoice. This is not about being fake. This is not about putting on some happy veneer over a deeply troubled soul. No, this is about a choice of how to respond to the sadness that births despair, that seeks to infect deep within. This is about how to respond when the kingdom of darkness seeks to erode your soul. It's fascinating to me that the Apostle Paul, who, who wrote these words, wrote them from prison in a time of deep suffering at the end of his life, I assure you. Paul was not writing this because he was happy. He wrote this because he knew it was a choice. That sadness will inevitably come and you will be exposed to it, but you are not a victim to it. Rejoice in the Lord in its face. Defy it. I will say it again. Rejoice. Number two. Frustration. How many of you this past week have found yourself so frustrated over the stupidest, most meaningless things? They don't have toilet paper. Again, they don't let me buy as many gallons of milk or eggs as I want. Again, I have to go to the store again. Why are my kids bothering me so much? Why is every little thing getting on my nerves? Have you found that in times like these, you find yourself a little bit more annoyed? a little bit more teed off, a little bit more on edge sometimes. I know for some of you, this is true. Frustration is inevitable in this world. You will be exposed to things that frustrate you throughout the course of your life. But the devil will use this. And he'll use it if you're not careful to infect your soul. Because frustration unchecked leads to something greater. It leads to anger and even hate. Where things that should just be mild frustrations start to take root. Look at this passage that I want to share with you today where Paul says, be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Those who are suffering from COVID-19 often get a fever. The flu will often bring it. Those who are suffering from this spiritual virus will find that their souls are running hot. Mad all the time. Frustrated all the time. <clears throat> all the time. How long have you been running hot in your psyche? and your spirit. Maybe, just maybe, the kingdom of darkness has started to do its work in you. But you're not a victim to it. 
There's something you can do. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. I want to read you the deeper passage that this is taken from today. Listen to this. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, your hot self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires and to be made new in the attitudes of your mind, to put on the new self, created to be like God in righteousness and holiness. So each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. Because we're all members of one body, and in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Don't give the devil a foothold. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. But only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of bitterness, rage and anger, brawling, slander and every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. As much as taking Tylenol for a fever. Kindness, compassion, and forgiveness against the virus of the devil's schemes will bring you through. Number three, have you been facing this one? Distraction. Oh my gosh, there are like 10 million things to distract us, aren't they? For those of you who have been working from home, 10 million things interrupting every eight seconds like a bomb going off in your brain. Better put like a cough. People who are getting COVID-19 will often have a symptom of a cough. What does a cough do? Well, it interrupts you. It interrupts your sleep, your conversations, your trains of thought. Whatever you're doing, you feel the cough coming on and you got to cough again. It is a constant, unceasing interruption. Distraction is often like a spiritual cough, keeping us diverted from the things that really matter. Have you found yourself at home this week with 10 million options before you, absolutely bored, feeling like there's nothing to do. I was looking at my own home. We have five streaming services, three TVs, five phones, a few tablets. I think we have six laptops in the house right now. Hundreds of DVDs. Literally thousands of books. Not talking about our entire catalog of music. We have more tools, building supplies, baking supplies, and craft supplies than should ever be gathered in one place. I swear Michael should bear, buy us out and you know, have a sale. We live on five acres. We have a basketball hoop. And how many times do we look at each other going, I'm bored. There's nothing to do. 
We're not bored. We've just fallen prey to distraction. From all the ways the kingdom of darkness will seek to distract us from more important things. Because when we're distracted, we lose sight of what we're living for. We lose sight of what really matters. We lose sight of the passions God has instilled within us and the passions God wants us to grab in this world. No, distraction is the devil's way of keeping our eyes off what God is seeking to do and the joy that comes with it. Distraction. Left unchecked. Births. Something that the ancients called acedia. You might call it laziness or sloth. They used to label it as one of the seven deadly sins. Now, believe me, I'm with you. I know what it's like to kind of like be in a week like this and like I'm going to go five days without taking a shower and moving from the couch, right? But that's not really the laziness I'm talking about right now. What I'm talking about is this. Apathy. Lack of concern. A spirit where you just don't care that much anymore. Where passion has died and so along with it, compassion has been allowed to die Two, it's a deep spiritual infection by which the kingdom of darkness comes to try to infect our souls. I think of this passage in Deuteronomy where Moses talks about a worst case scenario, so to speak, of this happening. Allowed to set in, he says, even the most gentle and sensitive man among you will have no compassion on his own brother or the wife he loves or his children. That even those who matter most, you find yourself, eh, and going through the motions. Look at what Jesus has to say. Well, he doesn't say that, but it's good. I'll get to that. Look at what he has to say. From Revelation chapter 3, he writes, or says through John. Let me get there. Gotta love it when pages stick together. Here we go. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds. You're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other, but because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out. You say, I'm rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your your, your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Jesus says, look, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him, and he will be with me. God wants to be with you. Jesus stands at the door and knocks and says, there is something so amazing, something so powerful, filled with such passion that I want to share with you. 
if you'll simply focus, look, stay rooted in the right direction, and seek the greater things. Have you found during this week at home that your devotional life really hasn't increased? You don't pray more. You don't talk to God more. I mean, not really. You don't read the Bible more. You don't work through the issues of your soul more with him. You know what's amazing about this past week? It reveals to us all one thing. It has nothing to do with time. It's desire. We don't do it because we don't want to. Because fundamentally we find it boring and are unconcerned with him. But here's where I want to steer you into this verse. Do not be conformed any longer, it says, to the pattern of this world. But be transformed, think differently, live differently than the way everyone lives with distraction in this world today. No, live differently. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Number four, anxiety or fear. There are some of you who have struggled with this in deep and abiding ways and who today you find yourself afraid. What if I've been exposed? What if I've got it? What if I'm exposing unwittingly my family and those around me? What if I get sick? What if I can't get what I need? What if I... What if my family, what if my mom, what if my dad, what if I lose my job, what if I'm scaled back, what if, what if, what if, and our minds roll in this manic direction of spooling out every worst case scenario and it fills us with fear. It fills us with fear because we realize we're out of control. We find ourselves somewhat victimized by this thing, fearing that there is nothing we can do about it. And it often leads to two different directions. Some get very interned. With this very intern focus consumed and their own worry and fear while others seek to try to control, controlling everything and everyone around them. Anxiety and fear, they come from a lot of different directions for, for a lot of different reasons. But the devil will use this to infect your soul. I think of those struggling with COVID-19. They'll talk about a shortness of breath. The inability to really fully catch their breath or breathe normally. Anxiety and fear left unchecked will rob the very life-giving spirit and breath God seeks to breathe in you. It will stifle your soul. But you don't have to find yourself victimless, a victim in the presence of it. I want to circle back 
to that Philippians passage again. Look at what it says shortly thereafter. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Let me read it more fully. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your requests to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, he'll guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I want to talk to you about this passage from Peter where he writes, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. See, at some base root, anxiety and fear is really just symptomatic of lack of trust in God. That I have to take care of me at all costs. That I have to take care of everything around me at all costs. When all the while, God is inviting you to trust him. Because in this world, you'll never be fully in control. In this world, you cannot protect yourself against everything that seeks to come your way. But God is there. And he's good. And while he doesn't promise to spare you from everything that you will suffer in this world, he invites you to trust him in the midst of it, knowing that he is good. And he has your good in mind. And that he loves you and that he is with you through it. It's why it says it, and I invite you to read this with me at home right now. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Whenever you find the devil seeking to suck the wind and life-giving breath out of your soul, say this, do this, in response to what you've been exposed to. And this leads me to the fifth and final that I want to talk to you about today. Guilt. Guilt is good. It's a warning light. It's a way that our conscience keeps us in check and lets us know that something is not right deeper down. But the problem is that so few of us really understand the nature of guilt or what to do about it, that it ends up infecting our souls and leading us to do things that only make it worse. There are some who seek to avoid it at all costs. And anything that seeks to bring guilt their way, any reminder of guilt, anything that brings forward guilt, so they stay away from church, they stay away from God, they stay away from the things of God, they stay away from friends, and I mean the real friends. The friends that actually tell you the hard truths and not just what you want to hear. They stay away from everything, seeking to avoid anything that brings that guilt to mind. Others seek to deny it rationalize it or write it off as something else. Others seek to flip the script on it. Taking the very thing that they should 
be guilty about and, and embracing it and celebrating it as, as, as somewhat of a defense mechanism or a shield against the very thing that should bring them shame. I love how the book of Romans puts this. Look at what it says. People like this, they become filled with all kinds of wickedness and greed and evil and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. Things that they should feel guilty for, but they invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They're senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And although they know God's righteous decree, they not only continue to do these very things, but start to approve of them. Others wallow in it, all too aware of their guilt, but in some sick, twisted kind of way, come to take a weird sense of pride in their guilt and love to just sit in the muck of it. This is not the right way. All of us have been exposed to things that make us guilty before God. All of us have guilt inside. But it's what you do with that guilt that makes all the difference. For God, there's another way. I want to share a passage. It's a bit longer, and some of you know it well. It's worth knowing. If we claim to be without sin, it says, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we claim to be without guilt, if I could say, people who have nothing to be guilty about, nothing to feel guilty about, we're lying to ourselves. We know. And all it does is give evidence that the truth isn't really alive in us. But if we confess our sins, those things that we're truly guilty over and feeling guilty about, look, God is faithful and he's just. And he'll forgive us our sins and he'll purify us from all unrighteousness. The solution to guilt is not avoiding it, denying it wallowing in it, justifying it, comparing ourselves to others to go, well, see, I'm not as bad as that. Really? No, God has a different way. Step one, just admit it. Lord, yeah. I'm guilty and I feel it. And I know it. I'm not going to hide it and I'm going to admit it to you. Step two, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I don't want to feel this way anymore. I don't want to be in this standing before you anymore. I want to live a different way. Step three, receive his forgiveness. Because he offers it in full. There is no thing in this world which has brought guilt into your soul that is greater than the love and forgiveness God offers you. It is Limitless. Christianity is not about a bunch of guilt-free people gathering in their guilt-free places to celebrate their guilt-free existence. No, it is about the most guilty of this world coming to admit it and saying, Lord, forgive me. 
I need you. If guilt has infected your soul and the kingdom of darkness is using it as a way to drive you from God, choose his way today instead and live in it freely. When all this is said and done, think of how many people will have been exposed and infected by COVID-19. Go through this scenario with me. How stupid would it be if six months from now, a year from now, two years from now, people who had COVID-19 were branded, look, he had COVID-19. He's a COVID-19 person. He was a carrier. Oh yeah, he got sick from COVID-19. Unclean. Doesn't it make more sense to go, yeah, I had it. I'm not going to deny it. I'm not going to rationalize it. I'm not going to minimize it. I'm not going to wish it away. I'm not going to avoid those who tell me I have COVID-19. I'm not going to compare myself to others who have COVID-19. I'm just going to say I had it. But I got help. And I'm better today. Isn't it the same way with guilt? Yeah, I was guilty. But Jesus forgave me. And I'm living healthier today. Make no mistake. Spiritual attack is a reality and the devil wants to infect your soul. You've already been exposed. There is no getting around that. But the good news is this. God's spirit is in you. And like an immune system, it fights against those spiritual attacks, seeking to make you healthy. But God invites you to partner with him to do various things so that these spiritual attacks won't take a foothold in you. The good news is this. You can't keep from getting exposed, but you don't have to be a victim to it. And for those of you who aren't Christians, who aren't expatriates, this path of spiritual health is the same invitation God makes to you. Jesus invites you to come to him and experience the fullness of what spiritual health is really like. Because in this world, we can't avoid the things that seek to erode us but we can come to the one who stands in the midst of it, keeping us from being victims to it.